Hey ladies, how you doing out there, you gangsters and you senior citizens of the world? I just want to let you know that I'm here. I'm starting my new podcast with Anchor. It's free, so I thought, why not give it a try? There's creation tools there that allow you to edit your own podcast right from your phone or computer. And Anchor will distribute my podcast, so it will be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can also make money from your own podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, at home. During the coronavirus epidemic, this is where we're going to be. So, it's a mandatory call to action that we... Take anchor. So today um, we're going to invite Paris Denard, one of uh, Donald Trump's cronies, one of the very few, well, or should I say two many black or African American people who follow Donald Trump. As you defend the President of the United States, whether it be him, be it Mississippi today, how do you, as a black man, defend the President's remarks last night for support of a man who talked about days being great in the days of slavery? Exactly. He can't. How do you do that, Paris? School goes on. 
Pencils, markers, and notebooks go on. Laptops and binders go on. Even lightning bolt backpacks. School goes on. And so do amazing weekly deals for everything on your list at Staples. Last night, he made a political judgment to say that he'd rather have a Republican from Alabama voting for the tax cut agenda that's going to help make this country great, and that includes African-Americans that have the liberal in there who's not going to vote for his agenda. Is it also so asking I'd rather people have somebody to dismiss? In Congress. I'd rather Is it asking have somebody people to dismiss Congress what he said about for. slavery and greatness, also dismiss allegations against him? that allege he is a pedophile. And well, pray the president asked people to dismiss can, those things. You know what? I, I, I'm interested in trying to figure out where everyone was when all of the things that, you know, when President Obama went down and, and, and spoke at Robert KKK Bird, as people used to but call he, him, can we just keep it to answering that question? He can't answer it. He can't defend the I'm, indefensible, Frederica. Come to me. Let this me come. This is not indefensible. <laughs> no, it is Scott, you just keep interrupting. But let me just, this is what it is at the end of the day. The president was endorsing Roy Moore for his vote and being a vote for the American agenda that he is trying to promote. And that agenda, in my opinion, is going to benefit the African-American community. If we went back and, and went back and looked at every single thing that every Democrat has said, as every wow. liberal has said that has been negative wow. against this black community or our culture, right. you would find many of those right. remarks offensive. But what President Trump did last night was say, I would like to have this Republican voting for my agenda to make this country great. And this is an individual who he did not okay. support in the beginning. It was Luther Strange. But back to Mississippi, which is why we're here today. It's an important okay. moment for the country. It's important for the president to be there. And I, he should show up every single time because if he did it, okay. Scott Bowl will be screaming to the top of his lungs. And I'm only saying okay because we are, we're, we're, we're up against a hard break. But not because this is the end of the discussion because I really do want to hear more from both of you on this because this is passionate. This this is the kind of conversation that's happening right now at just that about every dinner table and in every don't forget to click subscribe. It's almost as satisfying. I personally met Donald Trump. This is me, Cadillac Didi, your host. And well, he's a jackass. He's a real jackass. And if you listen to more of my podcast, you will find out exactly what happened at that meeting where I actually tried out for The Apprentice because I was a black person that did believe that he was quite possibly a very great man. But this was before he became president. So we have all seen a different side since then. So we'll have to add it all up and see what happens. You know, it's okay to be a black Republican, but it's not okay to be a black person who adorns a white person or any other person who clearly finds the color of their own skin, his own skin or her own skin appalling. So that's just weird to me that you would follow someone like that with such loyalty and I don't know, starry eyes, Mr. Denard. Well, this is Cadillac Didi signing off. Dear Didi of Wheels 2000 Magazine and Boss Lady of Boss Ladies Magazine. And uh, your host at 2020 Vision. <laughs>
BWA, bitch with an attitude. Holla back. Ray Charles and Flip Wilson on the Flip Wilson show. Black Soldiers March. For those of you who don't know, Ray Charles is one of the most prolific entertainers in history, in African-American history. And Flip Wilson was one of the first comedians to ever be on television wearing a dress. See Geraldine dancing around while Ray Charles is playing.
Might as well gonna dedicate this to my ex. <laughs> That's right. So with that intermission, those were two dead soldiers. And um, God, what a wonderful thing to see and hear. Gotta take a look at it. So thanks for joining in and Go ahead and continue on to the next Dead Soldier story. Cadillac Didi signing off. So several African Americans who were around in the 60s decide that they want to express their uh, outrage and sentiments towards the problems and the movements at the We're time. We're not interested in interracial housing. We don't want your neighborhood. We want ours to be just as good. See, we don't want to store in your neighborhood. We don't want you coming in our neighborhood and opening up stores and exploiting us. And then Tell me if you recognize their voice. Suburbs. We don't want your schools, but we want our schools to be the highest and the best possible for our black project. See, what people don't understand, we are saying, and we're not asking. The die is cast, as I said. We're not asking. We're saying this is the way it's going to be. A young lady from Winnetka has stated that uh, she saw during the marches this where she participated white man. people who were full of fear Speaking. and hatred. Mr. Lucas has said that the American Negro is either going to be free or he's going to be dead. Now, you get this straight. You can kill all the black folks you want to, baby, but you will not kill the freedom of black folks. It's coming. We're going to get it. We fought in every one of your damn lousy wars, baby, and you give us nothing. Now the war is going to be here, but we're going to be free. Now you kill all you want to, but we kill too. I don't agree with the moderator nor Reverend Robinson that we want some kind of agreement. We want agreement by which we can live or die. You choose. If you won't listen to me when I make an appeal for the Negroes, because you have no concern for the Negroes. Listen to me when I make an appeal for America. You claim you love America. Well, we love America. Make America great. But you are driving us back and you are making a Samson out of us. And we are going to pull down the pillar. Should you try to pretend that I'm crazy? Because I want America to be saved. And then you think we have no right to ask for something? Is it too much to ask you to grant us human dignity? Should we be put down and shot to death for this request? If so, you can aim your guns. What the hell do you think we care about what if one hot selling Amazon product could replace your income and change your life? So, Hi, I'm Sophie Howard and I'm a professional Amazon seller. You know, this, this, this revolution is filled with so many ironies, really. Uh, first you tell us that it is manly to keep your word, right? If you are a man, you keep your word. And now all of the black people 
people in this country are demanding, and even the black people in the whole world are demanding, is that you keep your word. You told us we were free. Well, then show us that we're free. You told us that there is justice, equality for all in this country. Well, then kids, stick to your word. And let us see the justice and equality for all. Or else admit to us that you're not a man. You're a word. You're afraid of us. You're afraid to give us equal stand. You're afraid that if you give us equal ground, that we will match you and we will override you. And if that's what you're afraid of us, then, then tell us that just what you're afraid of. But don't keep hiding it from us and, and holding this up to us. And every time we ask you for something, you give us a little bit of something. And it's all tokenism. We don't want tokenism. And there are most black men in this world that don't want charity. And yet still every time we ask you for something, you give us a little piece, a little piece. You're playing games with us. We're not children. We're, we're big men. I've seen my father have to put up with all kinds of stuff. He was a big man. He raised a family. He went down south and he had to go around to the back door with his wife. We're not asking for anything. We're not asking for any favors. All we want is what's ours. Now there are many black veterans who are coming back and they're mad, they're angry. Do you think that they're going to sit down through this? Our fathers didn't have the knowledge that we had. They sat through it. But there are other black youth that are not going to sit through it. We know about Che, we know about Fannin. We've read the books of our revolution. We've listened to Mal and his quotations. We know where we stand. We're not going to sit for it. We're asking, and if we ask and we don't get, we're prepared to stand up and take it. If I ask a man, I tell a man I am hungry. I tell him I am cold. And I ask him to do something about my condition. And this man holds a loaf of bread right in front of me so I can see it. And I keep asking him, I'm begging him to please give me a slice of the loaf of bread. I am hungry. Then it is known by every psychologist that the next step in the progression is I am going to knock him upside the head and take the bread from him. I'm not going to starve to death. All we're asking, no one wants to see blood. No one likes the smell of blood. No one wants war. Anyone who's been in war doesn't want war. Everyone knows what it is to see the inside of a man's gut hanging out and see your friends die, see relatives die. No one wants to regress back to the state of mind where you have to think it's all for the cause. Therefore, my mother has to die, my wife has to die, my brothers and sisters have to die. No one wants that. But you're pushing us to it. You're leaving us no choice. We're asking, we're begging. The students of the Columbia, they ask. The brothers down south ask. The brothers in Latin America, the brothers in Africa, they're all asking. All they're doing is asking. Our fathers ask. Our grandfathers ask. The presidents of our universities, our colleges, had to go to your back doors to beg that their children be given just enough money so that they could be taught something to live on. And, and yet still... They ask and ask and ask and you refuse to give them anything. Now, we're, all, we're just about out of patience. We're not going to ask anymore. The news media says that it's only the young that are militant, only the young that want this and want that. Okay, but we're 40% of the black population now. Or we were a year ago and still yet we're climbing. Before long we'll be 50%, 55%, then we'll have the command. 
We're not going to take it. We're not going to take sitting in, in rotten parks and in and, and, and places that just aren't fit for living. We're not going to take it. There's a limit to a man's patience, and everyone knows that God, Christ, heaven, everyone knows that what we're asking is not a million dollars. What we're asking for is humanity. Not a million dollars, Kanye. And why would you give a bunch of lazy... God, you tell us that this is too much to ask. You're sick. You're definitely sick. How can you tell me that it's too much to ask to be a human being? Why am I mad? You know, white people ask me, why am I so angry? And, you know, I don't have any answer for him because it would be ridiculous for me to answer him because he couldn't understand anyway, obviously, because he asked me the question. The 400 years that I've existed there, three years, you know, three generations within my own family, why don't you know what I'm like? What is it so new in 1968 or, you know, in the 60s that you've got to learn? Because my grandfather was born, you know, he's 90. My mother was ready for integration. You know, she's middle-class Negro. Now, all of a sudden, you come to me, and you, you say, you know, uh, communicate with me. Hell, I've been here all the time. Where were you? Communicate. Now, what do I have to say to you? The most advanced nation in the world. It has to be resolved. It has to be resolved because I want my children to have an answer. If not me, I personally prefer that I have an answer. You know, I don't have, you know, I, I like to think I don't have my lifetime to waste on this. Times like these, many people are going to experience hardships in many aspects of life. Hundreds of thousands of people. Most people say, if you don't like it here, get out. That's, that's for spineless people. That's what Trump said. don't want to fight for what they believe in. Well, I'm staying here because I was born here, and I am going to fight for my freedom. And before... I have kids. I am going to make sure that this damn United States deserves the existence of my kids because I will not rest until this, until every Sunday school is safe for my kids. So that they won't get killed or beaten up like those kids down in Mississippi in 1966, that is going to stop or else I'll be dead. Either one, you white folks have, have either one of two choices, give me my damn freedom or kill me, because I am tired of sitting by being an Uncle Tom or a house Negro like Booth and Wilkins. Those two guys are not Negroes. They're white people with man's hand. That's all. They don't speak for us. They have have found their way in in into the white man's house, the white man's establishment, and they are not up, up out to make waves. But I, I, I am. 
because I am not going to take seeing my kids walking to a newly integrated school and getting their heads whipped in by grown men. Because if that happens to my kids, there are going to be a lot of damn dead white folks. And, 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 and I mean a lot. Because I am not going to take this job no, no more. of Stephen Fetchin are dead. The days of the black-faced, big, wide-eyed, gin-drinking black man are dead. Now we have what is called black consciousness. But why is it that black people don't own the land where they live? White people own that land. We've never been taught property values. You see, we've never been taught property values. I don't own Harlem, for example. Black people don't own Harlem. So who gives a damn whether Harlem burned down or not? How you gonna tell me to love this property that exploits me every day? When the average black man in Harlem works the first Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday for a landlord. And on Thursday, he's working for Con Edison. And on Friday, he works for himself. And he's got, a, he's got the day off on Saturday. And he buys him a drink of liquor. And the minute he gets drunk, then a white policeman arrests him, takes him in a white court, and takes his money for two other weeks. And he goes in debt for the rest. And he goes to a white landlord, goes to a white pawn shop, or else he goes to goes to another white loan shop to keep living on credit to pay off the white man. And he's paying taxes and profits and vacation pay for white people. Every black man ain't got nothing to lose by anything that he's done. And this is what the white man better understand. Nothing from nothing leaves nothing. Simple. As A, B, C. Or as one, two, three, any way you go. There's no need to ask me why these black people burning down these buildings out here. Hell, they got a positive answer. People are not as dumb as people would think. But all the brilliant white psychiatrists and psychologists been able to find a damn path to the moon, but you ain't been able to find one goddamn path one mile up the street. Maybe you better take time with just all this unique ability to find all these scientific discoveries that you've got to learn how to find your way into men's hearts and men's minds. Let me put it to you this way. We are proud of being black and of our black heritage, but white America does not accept the concept that this is a multiracial society. It has never accepted the fact that there are black people, brown people, yellow people here alongside them. They've always looked upon America as being white. And hence, all of its propaganda is directed at us to convince us that somehow or the other we must become white before they will accept us. The problem is the standard for discussion is set by the whites. That, and a lot of Negroes now don't want to accept that standard anymore. They want to, they say, it's, I, I, we're going to have our own standard. I think that the hookup comes if you can develop a whole new standard where whites and Negroes can have a dialogue. Not either one of those are acceptable anymore. I mean, whites aren't going to accept Negro standards, and Negroes no, want, no longer want to be white. So that the clear thing is to develop a whole new standard, and then everybody move toward that so they, so they can be some kind of dialogue. You know, from a child, I always, at first, I wanted to be white, you know, because my family was 20 of us, six girls and 14 boys. We would make 50 and 60 bales of cotton, gather all that cotton, and we wouldn't have food in the wintertime. 
So I figured then the white people must be right. But as I got older, I said, no, it's something wrong. And if I ever get a chance, I'm going to do something about it. I'm thinking about in terms of a better and a greater world for all people. And we can't do that by me in one corner doing what I can do to hurt you and you in the other corner doing the same thing against me. So you go ahead and vote. So what? So you vote for a senator. And the senator's constituency is either lobbyists or lobbyists who represent big business or lobbyists who represent him, himself. So what's so what? So you can vote. There's been a lot of talk and a lot of shuffling of papers. But in terms of the, the plight of the black man in this country, there's been no perceptible change. Primarily because the white man has no reason to. He enjoys the highest standards of living. His government uh, enjoys dominance in world affairs. Why should he turn to me now and say, I want to share part of my good fortune with you? He has no reason to. I think there's going to be violence, see, because there already has been. I mean, when people try to free themselves, they kill Negroes in the South all the time. The Negro man has been emasculated and destroyed by that, by the fact that every time he stood up, he got just snuffed out right there. So I don't think there's any question but that there's going to be violence and brutality. But my attitude is that is that the brutality and the violence shouldn't become the reason that you want to be free. But that's a very personal thing, the freedom is. See, the question isn't what is freedom to me, it's what price freedom. Because sometimes the price that you pay for freedom is the very thing that makes you a slave again. That's what I think happened in Russia in 1917. But I know that there's going to be violence. I mean, I think it gets blurred, especially the individual, if I face you violently. See, who knows where that violence began? I mean, I might, if I face you with a gun and you got, I got orders to kill you and you got orders to kill me, then we can't really deal with each other. Well, you're, you're a target and I'm a target. So you can't really talk about that. But you have to, you can talk about the larger thing, the much more universal thing, the reason that you're there. See, it's really not to kill, but to free. Let us take a look at Harlem, 1964, when approximately 20 Molotov cocktails were exploded in Harlem. And in 1965, in August, in Watts, Los Angeles, 2,000 Molotov cocktails were exploded. I think that we are developing a, a more sophistication, and I think in the next uprising, and I suspect it will probably come through either in Washington, D.C., or in a, another unnamed uh, city, uh, where you're going to find 5,000 Molotov cocktails. Yes. This is supposed to be the most hated black man in America. My name is Brent Brown. In They're June, talking about I wrote the president a letter about my story. President Obama. But it is so much more than some kid from Mozambique. And my story is not mine alone. I am here to represent those who do not have a voice. The people who I met during my many hospital stays. Your family member who has cancer. Our neighbor who can't afford his medications. All those who, without the Affordable Care Act, would not be able to deal with their health problems. While the details will be different, this is also their story. It is our story. While attending college, I was diagnosed with a serious autoimmune disease. 
devastation. Now labeled with a pre-existing condition, I am disqualified from any and all health insurance options. More devastation. I feel. I watch my body tearing itself apart. But I don't go to the hospital until I can barely move. It costs too much. After numerous hospital stays, I eventually drain all of my savings. Bankrupt. I cannot afford the surgeries I need to save my life. Literally a dead man walking. Hope gone. But then this guy signs this bill. And now I have access to health insurance and I receive the care that I so desperately need. Over the last several months, several months and several surgeries later, I can now say I had a serious autoimmune disease. You're too kind. The Affordable Care Act saved my life. I want to repeat that. The Affordable Care Act saved my life. Right, Trump? That the Democratic Party is in good hands. My time in this office, it hasn't fixed everything. As much as we've done, there's still so much I want to do. But for all the tough lessons I've had to learn, for all the places where I've fallen short, I've told Hillary, and I'll tell you what's picked me back up every single time. It's been you. The American people. 
We love you too, Barack. Keeping it real, I have two sexual dreams about you. Oh, I'm sorry, President. I'm sorry, Mr. President. Big eye, green owl. <laughs> but you're so damn fine, Barack. Made by a seven-year-old girl. Oh my God. Taken from us in Newtown. All right, I'm done. Given to me by her parents, so I wouldn't Ooh. forget. Yeah, that motivated oh. me to become. Metal sign that said "White Only." That was the kind of prejudicial atmosphere that time i saw such unfairness happen in the this is all about the kkk that motivated me to become a lawyer because if an indian boy got in trouble and went into the court system he was treated quite differently and, and punished more severely than a white person would so they had three water uh, so you one saw for black one for white and one for indian and, and i've things. never heard that but what it did was it made us tough it made us we didn't we didn't bow down, and we didn't back up, and consequently, uh, it gave us a reputation of being violent, being in trouble with the law, doing some other things like that, that, uh, that made us different. Well, I think it had its origin and an occurrence that uh, uh, happened in the court system in Lumberton. Um, as I recall, there was a, a divorce action and a white couple going on in the court system in Lumberton and the evidence that was produced during the divorce uh, indicated that the woman was having an affair with an Indian uh, and for whatever reason the judge uh, in the divorce case uh, made a, a, a remark in open court that he could not understand why a white woman would get involved with an Indian and that sort of had its origin that I remember that that somehow got communicated to uh, a guy named Catfish Cole, who was the uh, Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan and who lived over in South Carolina. And uh, that's what I understand the origin that kind of brought uh, the idea that the Klan was going to hold a rally in Robertson County, up in the Maxton area, which is now called Hayes Pond, I believe. The fact that they were coming here uh, under that curtain uh, angered the Indians to the extent that uh, on the Saturday that this occurred during the day, uh, there was a sheriff at that time named Malcolm McLeod. And I remember him coming to Pembroke here in this town uh, in an effort to try to quell the situation because it was pretty obvious that there's the potential for it to grow violent uh, and that somebody was, was going to get seriously hurt. He was not able to do so. And the other side of that is that the Indian people here in Pembroke that at that time that I knew about ended up buying all of the ammunition that was available from the hardware store here in Pembroke. So at that time, the word had gotten around that uh, there was going to be a confrontation. I was in my fourth year of college at that time, about to graduate from this institution. My father and my mother was alive. 
Uh, I think all my brothers were gone. Uh, I think they were off in the service. Um, my youngest brother was home, and he was not old enough to get involved in it at the time. I didn't ask them. <laughs> I, I didn't ask for permission because I'm, I, I just didn't, and I think I might, I don't know what they would have said, but I'm sure my mother would not have sent me to a fight in Maxton, but I just didn't ask. And so I, I, at the time I was in college, and I just, but I, I would know, you know, when something like this is going to happen, it's not going to be hard in Pembroke at that time, but the nature of a thing like that to get up a group of people because we had people that would, would fight. If you pushed them, they would fight. And this was a push. This was, a, this was an affront uh, and a push for them to say that they were going to come in Robertson County, our county, and hold the rally and be in the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, that's just a, a, a recipe for disaster. Uh, that's, that's what that would be. And they're just fortunate, I'm telling you, I'll say it again, they're very fortunate that somebody didn't get killed. I think what was interesting was the fact that Dr. Walter Gale, and he was, a, they didn't call him a chancellor, he called him a president at the time, he was a white man. And it was, um, it was nice to see him from his position, both as the president of the college and a white man, to involve himself to the extent that he did because uh, he was, he really was giving us some tactical advice and some other things and participating in it to the extent that you wouldn't normally think the president of the college would do. And I, I don't think any of us would have ever told only him uh, at a time, but uh, that was enlightening and uh, quite comforting to us uh, here at the college and everything because he was, he was there, because most of the people here in the college at the time was Indians at the time, too. Uh, he had had some military background, I guess, in World War II or whatever, but at that time, he was the president of the college. I knew him very well, and he gathered together what I would define as a team. There was four of us, as I remember. Ken Maynard was one of them. I was one, and I've been trying to think of the other two, and I don't remember right off. But we met in his office, right? over where the library was at that time. And we devised a plan of attack, if you wanted to call it that. First to go and look at the field where they were going to hold this rally and, and plan some uh, strategy. And he was helping us with his military background. We went and looked and it turned out that this was a field that had tall broom straw. I would define it as that. And he saw an opportunity for us, and the plan was that we were going there that night, and after they got set up, is to determine which way the wind was blowing. And because they parked their cars in the field where that broom straw was and set up their platform, we were going to determine which way the wind was going to blow, and we were going to set the field on fire. The clan had set up a platform with a large, spotlight like one bigger than the one shining on me now and the Lowry boy had a shotgun and before we could set the field on fire we were in our position to start something he shot that light out with a shotgun and when he did K 
chaos erupted and everybody went together and he started hearing gunfire and fighting and this type of thing. Yeah, because there were some people that would have done some serious damage to, you know, there's knives up there, there was guns, there was, they came equipped. They, they were not going to hold a rally that night, I can tell you that. They never got, they never got to say a word. I mean, I, to my knowledge, they didn't, they turned on the light and and uh, all hell broke loose. And that was, I didn't think they got to say very much at all. Some of the Klansmen had realized that they had gotten in the wrong place and uh, that they in the wrong at the wrong time. And they were in their cars trying to leave. And that's when we began to have fights, hitting them when they were inside the car trying to move, dragging some of them out of the car, actually having some significant physical contact with them. Well, unbeknown to us at that time, the governor of the, of the state of North Carolina had positioned about 50 highway patrolmen on the perimeters of this thing anticipating that something like this might happen. And so after we were right in the middle of the fight, in came the highway patrol, uh, several of them. I know this because I got arrested. Two of them had me in custody. And about that time, there was a young man that I knew who lived up right up the street here on Pine Street. I can't call his name. Somehow he had gotten a military rifle. Um, and as they were taking me away, he ran past me and them. And like a soldier does, he fell down on the ground and had that rifle aimed. Well, they saw that that was a significant situation that was much more important than arresting me. And they turned me loose to get him. And when they did, of course, I was gone. <laughs> So I, I never, I never had to face the possibility of being arrested because they didn't know where I was. We were in, in the middle of everything. So they turned me loose. There's a lot of people there. There was a lot of Indians there that night, and it was a, it was a pretty significant confrontation. It was, it was quite confusing. I mean, we ran into the crowd, and you know they were trying to get away, and we were trying to, for the lack of a better word, beat the hell out of them. And so well, that's. Uh, uh, I, I, I wouldn't take, in, we weren't taking counts that night, but just, there was a lot of Indians there, and it's, it's one few clansmen, they were trying to get out. Had that boy not shot out the light, I think it would have been a much more serious situation because when the darkness hits, uh, we just sort of got into a physical fight instead of a shootout, and so it, it worked out probably to the best. And the timing of the, of the uh, North Carolina patrol coming in, I think all of that helped. That particular night, because of the involvement of law enforcement, I think uh, everybody thought that it was a wise thing to scatter, not end up being arrested, this type of thing, because uh, we just didn't know what was gonna happen. I, when they turned me loose, I didn't, I didn't go back and ask them any questions or anything like that. So, but I, I think it was a proud point for the Lumbee Indians at that time, because, um, and, and it got to be a national thing, quite frankly. It was in Life magazine, as you know. Uh, Simeon Oxendine and Shell Warwick captured the flag and, and made Life magazine. 
Simeon was a gunner in World War II. He was a he was a gunner on a B-29. He, uh, you know, these guys had fought in the war. Some of them they were older than we were, of course, but but there were some tough guys up there. They just picked. Uh, I mean, there were some tough people up there, and they're they're very fortunate that they didn't get treated worse than they did. I really think had the governor not sent in the highway patrol and sent in the force that he did. I'm not sure some of them would not have been killed or badly hurt. So this I is think an old that white man talking. Thing that, that you know he's telling the real. some realm because it had and the potential back. to really go bad. I happened to be traveling after that, and I stopped at a place in West Virginia to have lunch. And the people in the booth behind me was talking about it, and that was like a month later, but they were still talking about it. And I was on my way up to uh, Detroit, and I stopped in West Virginia. And they were having a conversation, and I thought that was kind of unique. But it was a it was a proud thing for the Lumpy people. I remember a cartoon in the Charlotte Observer that showed Catfish Cole running across the map of North Carolina and South Carolina, and he was running and crossing the line, and he had an arrow stuck in his buttock. And uh, so it was it was quite a it got quite a lot of uh, attention from the news media. And so that was one of the times when they thought they were coming into our county and push us. And I don't know what they thought was gonna happen, but I can tell you that it was a mistake and they realized it very quickly that they had gotten into a hornet's nest and, and should not have come in here. I, now I understand after that, it was so embarrassing to the Klan that they actually disbanded that situation that he was involved in um, so it got to be a big embarrassment for them they had never had in their history anything like that happen to them so they just came in the wrong place and, and picked on the wrong people right. yes <laughs> and, we, and I, as I said it's, it was a point of pride for us yes that's the nature of the Indian people here uh, you know if, you know, we're, they're good people we're good people but we will retaliate, and we will just do that, and, and uh, we don't like to be pushed, and that's just the nature of the Lumpy people. Well, that was a real story from a real white man telling you some real shit about the real Ku Klux Klan. That would be the KKK. That would be the motherfuckers that will never believe that black lives matter. <laughs>